When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. When Trump says there is now a 100 percent chance that there will be major terror attacks in the USA, he is right. And after the weekend and yesterday, now we know why he is right and what he means. He means terror attacks by the Republican Party. For once, Trump is right. Terrorism is here and the terrorists are the Republicans. The GOP under Trump is now the party of blackmail and extortion and destruction and terrorism. Vote for us or we will destroy whatever we can get our hands on in this country. Joe Biden agrees to a draconian overreaction to the migration issue that is more than the most xenophobic, most dogmatic Republican fascist could ever dream of living long enough to see actually enacted. And instead of passing it before lunch, just in case Biden changes his mind, they have lied about it. They have attacked it. They have killed it. And they have exacerbated the exact problem they had claimed to be fighting. And if they are correct in the slightest about the gravity of the border and immigration situations, they, the Republican Party, they will kill Americans as terrorists. They, the Republicans, will be ushering the criminals they claim are seeking a home here. They, the Republicans, will be carrying in and distributing the fentanyl they claim the immigrants are all carrying. They, the Republicans, will be ushering door to door the, quote, terrorists, unquote. And then they will run on the crisis they have caused. Trump, for once, is right. Terrorism is here, and the terrorists are Republicans. All of them. If a foreign country or a jihadist group or a reborn al-Qaeda or a pack of wild communists managed to interrupt America's control of her own border, 
successfully interfered with America's financial and military aid to its own allies around the world and blocked our humanitarian aid to civilian war victims and infiltrated and radicalized and made into their agents some of our political leaders who then made public promises to derail and disrupt and sabotage our Senate and our House and our government. This nation, under the leadership of either political party or a combination of them, would immediately declare a grave crisis and use the means provided by our laws of national self-defense to stop them, to stop the terrorists. The Republicans are now those terrorists. The Republicans have now torn off the masks and declared themselves to be what so many of them have so long been, terrorists, infiltrators, sworn on decreasing the security of the nation, decreasing the safety of its people, decreasing the viability of its allies. Terrorists. From Mike Johnson to Mike Lee terrorists from byron donalds to donald trump round them up charge them with the crimes they are committing as we speak and the americans whose lives they are endangering and send the terrorists to gitmo mike johnson mike lee byron donalds donald trump vivek ramaswamy all of them and if that coffee is a little strong for you the minimum the minimum in this situation where the Republicans make blood curdling demands and use the language of fear and threat and murder and racism and terrorism and then get what they want, but turn it down so they can save and worsen the disaster they have described so they can run on it. The minimum is for President Biden to now demand TV time from all the broadcast networks and every other network he can put himself on and for him to make a fire and brimstone speech no later than tomorrow night about how the Republicans have betrayed their own negotiators, how they have betrayed their own constituents, how they have even betrayed their own prejudices and hatreds, how they have betrayed this country and how they have endangered this nation, how they are terrorists. Biden should take all the components of the border bill that he can enact or come close to enacting by executive action and give the Republicans 48 hours to pass the border bill they threatened the nation into supporting and then reneged on. And the president should say that until the Republicans regain some control of their party from their mafia chief, Dementia J. Trump, he will veto the Trump-Mike Johnson House bill that would not improve conditions at the border, would not authorize more aid to Ukraine, but would still give the Israeli version of Trump, Benjamin Netanyahu, all the money he needs to carry on a war for months, for years, which even the majority of his own people want to stop. Because what Trump and the House Republicans want is not aid to Israel, but aid to Netanyahu. And Biden must take the opportunity to declare the obvious that these two things are different things. And this nation will always be on Team Israel, but it is no longer on Team Netanyahu and Team Netanyahu fascism. Trump and our Team fascism, our Team terrorism, the Republican Party, 
have long since devolved into the metaphorical hostage takers. Do what we say or we'll tank the economy. Do what we say or Trump's cult will shoot you. Do what we say or we will destroy you at the elections over the problems we have caused, but which we blame on you. But now, when the Democratic answer actually has been we will do what you say. The Republicans have demanded more, and now Joe Biden must make sure they get nothing. It is terrorism. The Republicans are using terrorism. Trump is and always has been a terrorist, and terrorists understand only one thing, a result in which they, and not their targets, are destroyed. And it is time for President Biden to tell the Republican terrorist party, you had your chance and we mistakenly took you seriously. Now you have a choice. You do what America wants or America will destroy you. By the way, there is a Procrustean bed here for Democrats if you are unaware of it. Whatever the correct assessment of the border is, the perception in much of this country, including places Democrats have to win or the United States of America as we know it is over, the perception is that this is a crisis. Whatever it is, and Biden might have actually gotten a minor gift here, he might only have to give a fiery speech about how Republicans are endangering this and stopping him from securing it, he may not actually have to do anything. Whatever it is, it is showing up in the special election a week from today to fill the seat of George Santos. You should excuse the expression. Veteran moderate Tom Swazi versus an ex-Democrat, ex-Israeli Defense Forces member, mother of seven, born in Ethiopia, who has otherwise pretty much hid her personal history, except her multiple qualifications as an immigrant, and is running on a no-immigrants platform, and right now it would be a toss-up. And the ads from both sides are only about immigration. And if you think... Well, Democrats can't lose a special election in, in, in New York. It ain't New York. It's Long Island. And last time the genius voters of that district voted, they elected George freaking Santos. On the other hand, if you think there is no one in the Republican Party not fully assimilated into the mindlessness of their Trumpian Borg, a snippet from Punchbowl News might cheer you. It is about yesterday morning's post-apocalyptic meeting of the Republican senators' communications directors. Those representing Senator James Lankford, the lead negotiator on the border bill, and thus the guy thrown highest into the air when the rug was pulled out from under them, explained the bill as it currently stands and opened it up for questions, whereupon reports Punchbowl, the comms director for Senator Mike Lee, the mindless moron from Utah, with the weakest comb-over ever seen, started yelling at everybody, not Mike Lee, but his comms director, eventually storming out of the room shouting, Betrayal! Then before you think the Republicans cannot be peeled away from Thelma and Louising their way across the cliff at Trump's insistence over this, after Mike Lee's aide stormed out, quote, those in the room erupted in laughter. 
One hopes there might have been similar reactions to the Sunday morning appearance with George Stephanopoulos of the simpering, sniveling sycophant from Ohio, Senator J.D. Too Much Eyeliner Vance. If you wondered if anybody could possibly suck harder on Trump's backside in a bid to get onto his ticket as vice president than Elise Stefanik or Tim Scott or eight years ago, Joe Scarborough, Vance has ended your uncertainty. He said the E. Jean Carroll verdict was invalid because it happened in a liberal state. He encouraged ignoring Supreme Court rulings that Trump doesn't like. And he, in essence, said that if he had been vice president on January 6th, he would have not only committed the insurrectionist acts Trump wanted Pence to do, but he would have done even more of them, done even worse versions of them including demanding that all swing states Trump lost send second sets of electors and let the Senate choose. Vance is an authoritarian weasel wearing eyeliner, and just because he's bad at it is no reason to let him get away with it. I have long advocated that all political TV hosts be given a button controlling the mics of their guests that they could turn off at their will. George Stephanopoulos finally had had enough of Vance, cut him off, and as ABC went to break, they adroitly cut to a shot of J.D. Vance still talking with his mic muted. Lip flap, as we call it in the trade. It was beautiful. I'm sure all of the executives at CNN and Meet the Press fainted. Oh my, I have the vapors. Some quick headlines. Impeachment? What impeachment? Politico reports the White House is actually planning to fight back against any bid to impeach Homeland Secretary Mayorkas, a motion to dismiss in the Senate or refer to a committee in the Senate or to submit it to a point of order motion. I know, I know, it'll be the worst day in Washington since January 6th. A point of order motion? Oh no! Kristen Cinema will storm out. Not that I haven't seen that happen before. Meanwhile, if you haven't heard anything lately about the impeachment of President Biden, that's because the Republicans have a two-vote cushion in the House, and CNN reported that as of Friday, at least 20 Republicans are not convinced there is evidence justifying impeachment. Most of them would weasel out of voting against it, but 17 of them can weasel out, and that would still leave three who would kill impeachment outright, and with it, kill the careers of Jim Jordan, Jamie Comer, and Mike Johnson. A reminder that Thursday will be oral arguments in the 14th Amendment disqualification case before the Supreme Court. That is the Colorado ruling that he's off the ballot there. And for God's sake, somebody tell the attorneys what Antonin Scalia said about how the president is to an officer of the United States. Sometimes judges do say the darndest things. Tanya Chutkin, in essence, leaked the postponement of the start of the Trump D.C. trial a day before she had to make it official. Yesterday at a conference about a different January 6th insurrectionist, according to Politico, she said she has plans to be in a different land in midsummer of this year. Quote, I hope not to be in the country on August 5. She said she might have to cancel her travel, though, because, again, quoting, I'm in trial in another matter that has not yet returned to my calendar. Golly, what matter could that be? Mark it down. Trump trial still in progress. August 5 or later.
and I must mention two weird meals served at Trump's good old actuarial table. Last July, last July, somebody tweeted, Ann Coulter has been right about Trump in the past. I'd love to hear what he needs to do, in her opinion, to help us take America back. Coltergeist chose last Saturday night around midnight to answer by means of retweet, quote, maybe he could die? Ann Coulter has been right about Trump in the past. I'd love to hear what he needs to do, in her opinion, to help us take America back. Maybe he could die? Just goes to show that for even the most lunk-headed of us in the Cornell Alumni Association, the value of that education eventually rises to the top. In Ann's case, just shy of 40 years after graduation. And then there was the surest sign yet that he really is Dementia J. Trump. No, not the dragging of the right leg in all those new videos like he just had a stroke or other event. Could just be the fact that his right leg is very heavy. No, not that. Rather, the posting of a split-screen image of him, aged 77, and Elvis Presley, aged about 25, and his apparently, well, certainly, non-self-satirizing comment, quote, For so many years, people have been saying that Elvis and I look alike. Now this pick has been going all over the place. What do you think? Trying to convince your cult that you are somehow like Elvis Presley? You mean uh, that you've, you've both been brain dead since 1977? Okay, that I'll buy. Nothing but an insurrectionist. Also of interest on this all-new edition of Countdown, oh, nothing. Just the three worst fears about cable TV news coming true. The guy who replaced Chris Licht at CNN may be worse than Chris Licht was. Tucker Carlson is in the Kremlin, and he's not staying there. Oh, and you've heard the phrase White House brain drain? Well, here it is. Living and breathing before your eyes. Axios reports President Biden's unofficial advisor is. I'm Joe Scarborough and this is Scarborough Country. That's next. This is Countdown. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. 
But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. And this time, Postscripts to the news is all TV news. News. Dateline Moscow. Tucker Carlson is in Russia. Quick, seal the borders. It's too much to hope he's simply been recalled by the Cheka. The assumption is Tucker Carlson is there for an interview with Putin or a possible interview with Putin that will fall through or fall out a window. Another theory is he may be acting as a conduit for Trump to somebody in the Kremlin. And obviously, given how many Russians Carlson and Trump have carried water for, that somebody could be any of couple hundred commissars. Or if you'd like a unified theory of the man Russian state TV once called Tuxin Carlson, this has something to do with Trump and Elon Musk and Putin and shrooms. Regardless, whoever he is there to see, Carlson will return here imbued with fresh real world propaganda to use in his decades long fight against reality and his own mental health. You can't fix Russian but you can fool Tucker Carlson all of the time. Nancy Faust. Dateline Atlanta. <laughs> CNN is retooling its morning show. Again, emphasis on the word tool. Again, 
This time it is offloading anchors Phil Mattingly, who I thought was pretty good at it, and the insufferable Poppy Harlow, and shortening the show and moving its production from New York to Atlanta. But the network actually insisted to several reporters this is not a cancellation. It's just new anchors, a new city, and shorter hours on the air. The 50 staffers affected have been encouraged to reapply for their jobs as the new, new CNN boss, Mark Thompson, guts the place even faster than the late lamented paste eater Chris Licht did. I'll point out that the results of this show are just like the 10 p.m. Abby Phillip disaster, which CNN spends millions of dollars on. In the morning show's case, it spends millions of dollars on it and uses expensive lights and makeup and 50 staffers to produce a show that was averaging this year a daily audience of 322,000 which is not even three times the size of this podcast, which I do in my spare time in my suit closet with the help of my dogs. Keep up the good work, CNN. And Dateline, the White House. Hello. Well, this is nothing less than the worst national security crisis since the Russians stopped Jim Brown and Rock Hudson from getting to Ice Station Zebra in 1969. I'll just read this verbatim from Axios, because I just couldn't bring myself to try to rewrite it. Quote, when White House aides appear on MSNBC's Morning Joe, they're often booked between 7 and 7.40 a.m. ET. That's so they'll reach one crucial and loyal viewer, President Biden. Why it matters. Biden's years-long love of MSNBC's staple morning show affects how the White House runs and who Biden listens to. The president often calls co-host Joe Scarborough a former Republican congressman who's now a harsh critic of Donald Trump. (laughs) Check the notes to see if he's still a harsh critic of Trump or if he's swung back yet. To get Scarborough's take on issues and sometimes vent about media coverage, according to people familiar with the relationship. Uh, Hi, Mr. President, it's Joe Scarborough. During the day, Biden has long asked his staff whether they saw a story, a poll, or a segment that had been on the show. He's included show regulars in off-the-record conversations with policy experts. Biden pays particular attention to and has consulted with Morning Joe regulars, including longtime reporter Mike Barnacle... Oh, God. Foreign policy expert Richard Haas and historian John Meacham, who has assisted on several Biden speeches, each of whom made their MSNBC debuts on my shows. Hmm. Vice President Harris watches Morning Joe, too. She and second gentleman Doug Emhoff hosted a dinner last month at the vice presidential residence for Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, his co-host and wife. I hope they counted the forks, knives and spoons afterwards. Aides note that Harris also tunes into Fox News and occasionally watches The Five. Behind the scenes, because Biden watches Morning Joe so often, most of his top aides watch or track the show to anticipate potential questions from him. Biden aides have remarked how longtime Biden aide Steve Ricchetti, Ricchetti, Ricchetti seems to watch much of the four-hour show every morning. God help him. He and other aides often reference the show. God help them. A White House official told Axios that many of Biden's top staff members think the show gives Biden a fairer shake than other outlets. Well, Newsmax and that guy who who thinks Biden is uh, is uh, from a different planet and, uh, you know, 
Biden included retired Admiral James Stavridis, a morning Joe staple on national security issue. That's two staples in the middle of morning Joe, which makes sense, in an off-the-record briefing at the White House with other experts. Biden takes notes and initially refrains from giving his perspective during such sessions because he doesn't want people to tell him what he wants to hear, according to a person familiar with the meetings. Olbermann added, then why the hell is he talking to Joe Scarborough if he doesn't want to talk to somebody who'll tell him what he wants to hear? Far be it from me to tell Joe Biden he cannot consult news people for advice, considering Senator Joe Biden took me to lunch to ask for advice in 2007. But that was about public speaking style, not issues or policy or important stuff that affected anybody other than the two people sitting at the table. Also, unlike Joe Scarborough, I'm not an amoral lying son of a bitch who would take any position on any issue at any time if I thought it would advance me personally, like when Scarborough angled to be Trump's vice presidential running mate in 2016, day after day, week after week, mainstreaming and normalizing Trump and his malignant hate in hopes of buttering up the would-be Fuhrer Do you think any of Joe Scarborough's criticisms of Trump would have even shot fleetingly through that narcissistic head of his had Trump offered him the VP slot or even a cabinet post or some cash? Joey Scars is the worst kind of political prostitute, the one who thinks he will be president someday and who really doesn't care which party or form of government he'd have to belong to to get there. The day I returned to MSNBC in 2003, Brian Williams sat me down to update me on events of the four years between my two stints there. Your little friend Joe, Brian said, thinks he can become a TV star and from there, president of the United States. Joe overflows with ambitions. Brian Williams said somebody else overflowed with ambition. By chance, I saw Joe Scarborough on Broadway last week near P.J. Clark's on the west side near Lincoln Center, presumably on his way to meeting somebody else's wife somewhere. Just a guess on my part. I would have rolled down the car window and MF'd him as loudly and as frequently as I could, but I had one of my dogs with me. And Joey Scars is not worth upsetting one of my dogs. You turn on the TV and see Joe Scarborough and see exactly what I do. A blank, dazed, darting from side to side, paranoid, no soul, stupid, check engine light look. But if you don't trust me, trust my scars, my Joey scars. Behind the vapid face is a master saboteur, and I'm a little worried he may be using the saboteur bit on the President of the United States. Early in 2008, the late Tim Russert called me and warned me that the GOP had upped its pressure on everybody at NBC about me. He said he had heard somebody in New York was going into the office of the president of NBC News saying that Joe Scarborough couldn't get his friend John McCain to come on to his new morning show on MSNBC because I was so critical of John McCain. Early in January 2010, the Republican candidate to fill the Senate seat of the late Ted Kennedy, Scott Brown, the former nude model, was at a rally 
when one of his supporters talked about, quote, shoving a curling iron up the backside of the Democratic candidate, Martha Coakley. Scott Brown clearly heard the remark and clearly responded to it, quote, we could do that. On January 18th on Countdown, I did a brief commentary about how unsuitable Scott Brown was for public office. I said he was, quote, an irresponsible, homophobic, racist, reactionary, ex-nude model, tea-bagging supporter of violence against women and against politicians with whom he disagrees, unquote. I had quotes from Brown supporting that conclusion and videotape of him disparaging his minority opponent in a local election to her face at a debate to back that part of it up. An hour later, Joe Scarborough did a tweet storm against me. Quote, Olbermann calls Brown a homophobic, racist reactionary who supports violence against women. How reckless and how sad. It is no longer enough to simply disagree with someone. Just as when Beck called the president racist, this sort of rhetorical extremism must be discouraged. It cheapens the debate. End quote. Joe Scarborough accusing somebody else of cheapening things. This man was once loyal to Newt Gingrich. Now, there was also, more relevantly, a standing rule at MSNBC. You want to criticize somebody else who's on MSNBC? Go ahead. Have fun. The more, the merrier. But it has to be on the air at MSNBC. It can't be hit and run. They must have an opportunity to reply in real time, same show, or in some face-to-face way. No hit and run, no blindsiding, and no tweet storms. If you criticize them by name or by inference in any other medium, newspaper interview, radio, social media, you were to receive an automatic suspension. The next day, January 19th, I called the president of MSNBC, Phil Griffin, and I asked him how long Scarborough's suspension would be. I did not say, will it be longer than the amount of time you and Scarborough spend drinking together? Griffin asked me to come to his office. He said he'd already had a meeting about the tweets that morning with Scarborough's executive producer, Chris Licht. Remember Chris Licht? Griffin explained that Scarborough considered Scott Brown a friend. More importantly, Licht had warned Griffin, and Scarborough told him this again by phone, that if Griffin followed through and enforced the mandatory suspension rule, Joe Scarborough would have no other option than to go to the press and tell reporters, especially reporters at right-wing sites like Tucker Carlson's The Daily Caller, that he had been suspended from MSNBC because he was a conservative and I was a liberal and that I, and not Phil Griffin, was running the network. What can I do, buddy? Phil Griffin was scared. I told him he could fire Scarborough and Licht because they had just blackmailed him and they were getting terrible ratings and eventually he was going to have to fire them anyway, but that I knew he wasn't going to do that and that I knew he wasn't going to suspend Scarborough either. And Griffin did not suspend him. Partial score, Scarborough's friends two MSNBC rules of conduct, nothing. But Phil Griffin did send out a memo to the entire company, insisting that anybody who criticized another MSNBC show or host in another medium would be suspended from now on. Except Scarborough, who had just done that exactly to a T, and then threatened his own employers and successfully blackmailed them. On January 25th, Brian Stelter's old blog TV Newser got a copy of that memo, and it didn't come from me, and I don't think it came from anybody on my staff. 
Stelter's people wondered why Scarborough had not been suspended, so they called the MSNBC president. Then they printed, quote, Griffin responds to TV newser, quote, an important rule is broken. I spoke to Keith and he said that in the spirit of teamwork and the free flow of ideas, he didn't think it warranted punishment or suspension. I also talked to Joe and he apologized to me. That's why I made the decision that this didn't rise to the level of punishment, but I felt it was necessary to reiterate my long-standing policy. 100% bullcrap. Totally fabricated. Of course, 100% bullcrap is what they're going to put on Phil Griffin's tombstone. Licht and Scarborough had blackmailed their own boss with a threat to smear them inside the right-wing echo chamber, which nobody at MSNBC needed to care about. They should have been fired on the spot for cause with not another dollar going to them. In May 2010, a couple of months later now, Scarborough said something on the air about a Democrat getting away with not being investigated for something or another. Marcos Molitsis, the editor of the Daily Coast website, and not just a regular contributor to Countdown, but somebody who had been promoting the MSNBC brand on his website for five years, sent a snarky but legitimate tweet questioning Scarborough's credentials to criticize others who were not investigated for things. Marcos invoked the staffer who died in an accident in Joe's office. Didn't say that Joe had anything to do with it. Everybody actually believes it was an accident. Scarborough then attacked Melitzis on Twitter, inaccurately claiming Melitzis had accused him, Joe Scarborough, of murder. A few days later, I got a phone call from MSNBC President Griffin, and he told me Chris Lick's been in to see me. Joe won't put up with having Marcos Melitzis on his network anymore. Not only that... But Lick says many of Joe's friends who also appear on Dayside and Primetime won't come on anymore if Marcos Melitzis is permitted to continue here as a guest. Chris is insisting that Marcos be banned from MSNBC immediately. Chris says he's afraid that if we don't, Joe won't come into work tomorrow. I congratulated Phil Griffin on the clear win-win. Phil Griffin was very bad at enforcing MSNBC's rules, but very good at creating new ones on the spot to protect Joe Scarborough. I'm banning Melitzis from any further appearances on MSNBC. I said, Phil, he's a contributor to my show. You're suspending my guest, who has driven hundreds of thousands of viewers to Countdown and MSNBC, and I don't have any say in it? Joe Scarborough owns you. Chris Licht owns you. What you now have to worry about is whether I tell this story on the air tonight or I wait and I tell it later. Phil now got conciliatory because he was scared again, and he said it could be just a suspension if I cooperated. I told Marcos about this, and he said he enjoyed his contributions to Countdown. He also did occasional appearances on the old Ed Schultz show, and if there was still a chance at resuming the appearances, he'd prefer to at least try that. So Griffin suspended Marcos Melitzis, and to my knowledge... He's still suspended 14 years later and has not been on MSNBC since. I wish I had kept better notes on some of my conversations from the 2008, 9, 10, 11 era about my conversations with the hosts and the producers of the other shows like Schultz, Rachel Maddow, even Chris Matthews. I must have heard a variation of this statement a dozen times. Guess who was in Griffin's office explaining that such and such is Joe's friend or alternatively my friend and Phil really needs to make sure we lay off him. It was either Chris Licht or Joe Scarborough, sometimes both. 
I remember one of my producers at the MSNBC version of Countdown telling me that one of the other producers had told him that Licht had gone to NBC News president Steve Kappas with a list of Republicans that Maddow and Alderman needed to stop criticizing because they were Joe's friends and we were hurting Morning Joe. One can now imagine Joey Scars going in to whoever runs MSNBC these days and saying that Maddow or Hayes or O'Donnell or whoever is being too critical of Biden and they had better stop because that wouldn't be good for Morning Joe. Or maybe it would be Mehdi Hassan who should stop saying stuff like that or Tiffany Cross or... Hey, wait, Mehdi Hassan and Tiffany Cross have been fired by MSNBC recently under mysterious circumstances with bullshit explanations, haven't they? <laughs> Coincidence, no doubt. Because I might think Joe Scarborough is the worst person I've met in 45 years in media, and I might think Joe Biden couldn't turn to a worse advisor. But more importantly, a more insincere one. But none of that is the biggest problem here. The biggest problem here is that Joe Scarborough is now Sean Hannity. We all rightly mock Sean Hannity as Trump's unofficial idiot White House advisor. Well, what is Scarborough? Every time Joe Scarborough talks about Joe Biden on MSNBC needs to put up a disclaimer disclosing their unofficial and utterly inappropriate relationship. It's not journalism. It's not ethical. It's not appropriate. And MSNBC should not abide it because it compromises everything said by everybody on MSNBC, pro-Biden or anti-Biden, including whoever you think the good guys are. They are all whores by extension because Joe Scarborough has turned MSNBC into what those of us who created it fought desperately to make sure it would never become the liberal duplicate of Fox News which at least in the mornings it now is. There is one silver lining to all this. Whenever Joe Biden does something that makes no sense or has only expediency or sophistry going for it, or he is timid and seeks compromise when he should stand fast, or he lets Trump off the hook, at least you and I know which member of his brain trust gave him such bad advice. The one who doesn't have brains, just ambitions. I'm Joe Nancy Faust. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. all the damage I can do here. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Ray was on guitars, bass, and drums. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards, produced by TKO Brothers. Here's a tease. Mr. Ray and Mr. Chanel have created a new composition for us for the Trump Trials, premiering later this week on Countdown. You'll enjoy it. Other music, including some of the Beethoven compositions, were arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. I know, I know. You'll decide whether or not you'll enjoy it. You know Brian's work. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It's written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Larry David. I understand he has a new show on HBO? Twelve years, you say? Is it good? Everything else is pretty much my fault, so that's Countdown for this 274th day until the 2024 U.S. presidential election and the 1,127th day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Use the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Act, the justice system, the mental health system to stop him from doing it again while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Good luck.
Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.